You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 51 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I am one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, your champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me like a hungry Minoc who stopped for a snack and stayed along for the ride, the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, actually, I am feeling a bit peckish at the moment. Uh-oh. <laughs> Be warned, people. <laughs> Gobstoppers, I'm looking at you. Speaking of looking at, what are we looking at this week? Well, this time we are continuing our year in review. So as you know, folks, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, the ones that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. In this case, we're pondering about where we have been. This episode, we continue our 2012 year in review with the comics of 2012. Consider this your spoiler warning, because here we go. I'm looking at this list and seeing some impressive comics. I, I have to say, you know, at the beginning of the year, I said 2012 was the year I fell behind. But I also discovered another thing. It's also the year I discovered I really am enjoying the comics. I, I think that this last year, two years, maybe even three years, when it comes to Dark Horse comics, has been some of the best in terms of good art and stories. And, you know, looking right at the top of this list here, I see KOTOR War. Uh, and I, I, you know, I know you, you mentioned that you don't have to have this series and that it, it was almost kind of a, uh, a tip of the hat or a way to have Mandalorian nights, but I liked it. I, I thought it was a really cool little addition to, you know, a series that had, yes, wrapped up very nicely, but I, I thought it was kind of cool to kind of still get closer to the events of the game KOTOR, kind of still see where Zane's at, what's going on with him, and how his luck is continuing to once again kind of get him into trouble. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed the Mandalorian Knights. I thought it was a really interesting aspect. Um, You know, we've been watching the Sith kind of come out more and more in the last few books, in the last few years. And so, and, and I think that to a degree we're watching the Mandalorian's backstory kind of also flesh out. And I thought that that was just one more addition that KOTOR gave us to the Mandalorian's backstory. You know, I'm a big fan of John Jackson Miller's work, especially when it comes to the original Knights of the Old Republic series. I think that he did not get a chance to shine as much as he should have with Knight Errant, which of course we're going to get into because he just didn't get a chance to finish it out the way I'm sure he probably wanted to. But KOTOR War is just like the, why was it their comic series for me? I mean, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. I don't think it was on par with John Jackson Miller's other works. It was a superfluous story. It brings in the Mandalorian knights that, you know, aside from fans wanting them so they could dress like Jedi and Mandalorians at the same time, wasn't really a necessary concept here. And, I mean, what was it? We're going to fake the plague by having people fill up their helmets with basically stew. Really? 
that's your big <laughs> plan to get behind enemy lines. It just really did not feel like it was something that really measured up to the rest of the series. Uh, Legacy War was a necessary continuation. KOTOR War, not so much. I kind of wish KOTOR War hadn't existed because now I look back at KOTOR and I feel the same way that in a sense I feel about Babylon 5. Where Babylon 5 was this awesome series, but then they tried to continue it with Crusade, and it died. They tried to do the Legend of the Rangers, and it died after one telemovie. They tried to do Voices in the Dark and this whole idea of direct-to-DVD continuations, and it dies after one. you got this great hole and these things tacked onto the end that detract from that hole. Uh, it, just, it just did not work for me in that sense, which is unfortunate because usually I love JJM stuff. I, I can see where you're where you're going with the reference to Babylon Five. For me, I anything after episode or season four uh, was just bad. I didn't like anything after that. But yeah, again, I, I liked the Kotor little bit. I thought the Beast Steel was classic. Uh, you know, <laughs> Zane's luck and and the way he bumbled through things. Um, you know, I, I think I think for me it, it more appeals in the aspect of you know that whole uh, we don't want to worry about you know tying people down. We want to keep it fresh and. You know, want to keep it accessible. <laughs> it was one of those things where you didn't have to know what had came before to enjoy the story, and yet if you did, you you know you had some details as to what was going on. But that was just a fun little throw-off story that that gave you some little tidbits here and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I fun, just not again, just kind of not where I wanted it to be. Uh, speaking of things that have come before, I guess at some point we'll have to mention some of the previous stuff being reprinted in this year. So let me just kind of run down a quick list of those so that you know we are being complete here. We did see trade paperback releases of Legacy War, Jedi the Dark Side, The Old Republic, The Lost Sons, Invasion Revelations, and Knight Errant Deluge this year, all of which were stories that have finished up the previous year. We also got several new omnibus editions this year. We saw the end of collecting the original Marvel series, the 107 plus the three annuals plus the Return of the Jedi 4-issue menu series as Omnibus a long time ago. We had Volume 5 this year. We also saw the Droids and Ewoks comics from Marvel, the Star Comics imprint stuff, produced as Omnibus, Droids, and Ewoks. We had the Omnibus with a bunch of sort of random Luke stories called The Other Sons of Tatooine, as well as Luke and Biggs and so forth. Um, we also have seen a lot of the old Clone Wars stories, the ones that now are kind of in flux because of the cartoon series, republished as Clone Wars Volumes 1, 2, and 3, The Republic Goes to War, The Enemy on All Sides, and The Republic Falls. And we also had an omnibus that wasn't called an omnibus, called the Crimson Empire Saga, that collects all three of the Crimson Empire stories and whatnot, and some of the, the tie-in stories that go with them. So it was a big year for taking previous stuff and republishing it, either as trade paperback or omnibus form. I personally was just excited to see droids and Ewoks, because it took so long for me to hunt down the original issues of those series to now be able to say that they are there. Um, I only wish that they had gotten to the Marvel UK stuff and some of the other oddball stuff already instead of still having that on the drawing board because with Disney coming in, I'm crossing my fingers that they're still able to produce that prior to uh, at any point if Dark Horse winds up losing the license and has it, having it go to Marvel because Disney owns it and such. Now, now, real quick, you might be able to answer this for me. Are any of, in the, especially the Clone Wars volumes, any single issues left out of these? Because I know with the X-Wing series, I got the omnibuses thinking, oh, well, I got it all. And then as we were doing the episode, I discovered I was missing one single issue that was collected in another one that I didn't get because I had all the single issues of that. 
uh, series that the omnibus collected it. So are there any that, that fell along the wayside that didn't make their way into these? You know, I actually haven't taken a lot of time to sort of go through and see which ones are and aren't there. I can't tell you what's in each of them. Um, volume one, the Republic goes to war has quite a few issues of Republic. You got sacrifice, the defense of Camino, the new face of war, blast radius, forever young, double blind, dead ends, striking from the shadows. And then you have the Jedi story uh, comics. Back then they had just a series called Jedi, but they were all named after the Jedi that was featured. We have Jedi Mace Windu, Jedi Shock T, Jedi Ala Secura, and Jedi Count Dooku all in that same volume one. And then the Enemy on All Sides, volume two, has the Battle of Jabim, Enemy Lines, Hate and Fear, No Man's Land, Bloodlines, Show of Force, and Armor from Republic, along with Jedi Yoda and the General Grievous miniseries. And then Volume 3, The Republic Falls, has the Dreadnoughts of Rendili, Track Down, The Siege of Seleucami, The Hidden Enemy, and then the Brothers in Arms story and the Obsession miniseries. So a lot of it covered there, but I mean, keep in mind, a lot of the Republic series was also already taken up in things like uh, Menace Revealed and so forth. And I mean, a lot of these have been collected in multiple places. I don't think there's any... There's no series that collects all of Republic without some gaps in it, but I don't think it's quite as obvious a thing if there are gaps, as was the case with the X-Wing stuff where they left out the one for the other Sons of Tatooine and the rest of them wound up in the Omnibus series. I am seeing also that they are giving a name already and solicitation to that Marvel UK one that I was wanting to see. It's called Wild Space, but the first volume doesn't come out until June of next year. Hopefully it'll survive that long. Interesting. You know, that's one of the things as a comic collector that's always kind of really chafed. Uh, you know, you either get it in the singles and you try desperately to hope that your comic store is able to get you every single one or you wait for the trade paperbacks and then hope that everything gets collected in it. It's one of those things. I don't understand why they don't collect all of a certain series in its omnibus. Yeah, and as a Marvel fan, it's really irking because you'll get like a series like, say, Civil War, and you're hoping to have like, say, the Avengers and the new Avengers, and then you find out you're getting stuff like Daredevil and Ghost Rider, and you're like, I don't even care about these characters, but yet their stories are showing up because someone felt it was relevant to the story. And that gets me to the Crimson Empire one. I've, I've got all that, so I didn't buy the Omnibus, but why not call it Omnibus? I mean... That, that just seems to be a, a theme of comic stores. I mean, Predator Omnibus, Buffy Omnibus, all these omnibuses, when they stack together, they look really nice and stuff. I, I don't ever understand why they always change things like that. You know, uh, Scourge, uh, Scourge from last our last episode, you know, that title is different than all the other titles on my bookshelf. Why? I don't even know, but they decided to make it different. And it just, those things perplex me. It's like, why change what's not broken? Well, you know, speaking of Crimson Empire, I mean, this was the year that we not only saw that omnibus, but we also saw a trade paperback for Crimson Empire 3, Empire Lost, because this was the year this was the year in which that story ended. We got issues four through the end of the series, finally, for Crimson Empire. Uh, and honestly, I mean, this was a story that was really good for the first Crimson Empire. It was all right for the second. The third really just didn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, it was just... Yet another New Republic-era story in which some former Imperial is trying to build up his forces to go after either the Imperial proper, Gilad Pelian in this case, or go after the New Republic and take out Luke and Leia and such, and they're stopped by our heroes with potentially some other allies. In this case, Kyrkanos and kind of the end of his story, how does he go off into the sunset and such. But, I mean, I gotta tell you, you know, Crimson Empire 3, for all the hype, for all the years of saying, We want Crimson Empire 3! <laughs> 
it really did not live up to its potential, not in terms of the storyline or in terms of the artwork here. I, I would almost rather Crimson Empire 3 not have existed, and they had left it at, I, mean, I guess, Crimson Empire 2, but frankly, I would rather them have left it at Crimson Empire 1. It's kind of like a lot of people yeah. feel about Dark Empire. They had left off Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End. Dark Empire as a saga with just the one trade paperback worth would have been a more solid story. I feel the same way about Crimson Empire. I, I would have to agree. I never really cared for the Crimson Empire series. I'm, I don't like the art, the story. I think the best thing out of Crimson Empire was Naminor. Um, you know, when we get to the third one, the only things that really I enjoyed out of that was seeing, you know, Han and Leia in the position they were in in the time frame they were in. But mainly it was Paleon. It was what was going on with his character, what he was trying to do with the Empire. That was the only thing that really captured my attention. Uh, you know, and yeah, people were just like, I want Crimson Empire 3. And I'm just like, okay, this is something I just don't get. You know what I mean? Typically, I'm like, yeah, Star Wars, everything. But Crimson Empire was not one I was on the bandwagon for. I was like, yeah, I'll get it. But we'll see. And it didn't make me excited. Not when I was reading it. I was just like, okay, this is, yeah, whatever. And how many times can Baron de Asta clone his own daughter? I'm just saying. Uh, and, and how creepy <laughs> is that that he does it? Uh, but speaking of ones that... Rub me wrong, since we're on the topic here. We also have, this year, the newest trade paperback and the, again, issues four through the end of the newest storyline of Dark Times, written by Mick Randy Stradley Harrison. And I have not been a fan of Dark Times pretty much since the beginning. I found it very, very hard to like pretty much any of the characters in that series, Um uh, it just has not done it for him. Not Kukruk and his storyline, not Das Janir, not the crew of the unpronounceable you. ship. I cannot just get in. I, mean, I like Vader in it, but that's about it. You know, hopefully Das will get his groove back and it'll become more like the kind of stuff we see in maybe Purge or something. Uh, the artwork is pretty decent most of the time, but I found especially the issues of 2012 of Out of the Wilderness to really rub me wrong because it all hinges at the end upon Das and Ember loving each other. We've never been given any reason to believe that. I mean, until somebody in the story says, you love each other, or don't you love him, or something like that, it's us sitting back going, wait, what? Really? All that bickering and stuff? Oh, I get it, they're two-year-olds, they're three-year-olds, chasing each other around and hitting each other because the boy likes the girl and such. Uh, Dark Times continues to strike out with me, uh, even this year. Hopefully the next storyline that brings Kirkrook back, that'll be the one that that redeems it, because certainly we've seen people, you know, redeem themselves before. Zon with Scoundrels, for instance, recently. But not not Dark Times. See, and I'm on the fence. I like Dark Times in concept. Uh, you know, and, and the second arc with Crook Crook, I that was my favorite Dark Times. I'm looking forward to the next arc because he's back. Um, and I think that for me, I, I really, I think that they really should focus more on his character and finding a way to get him and Daz Jenner together. I like Daz Jenner in theory, but I haven't really enjoyed what they've been doing with the character. I mean, he started out really strong seeming and then he just kind of petered out. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I kind of at one point almost saw him like Rick from The Walking Dead, you know, where he's <laughs> he was watching people getting eaten and stuff and he's trying to kind of <laughs> hold it together while the world as he knew it is kind of crumbling around. But yeah, Vader has kind of been the strong big bad and then 
out of the wilderness, that arc was just really weird. It, it didn't fit well. I'm ready for them to rename the ship they're traveling with the uh, with the the carnival group. I, I mean, I can't see him as anything more than a traveling sideshow. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice when Vader gets to take more of an active role, and it seems like that's the angle that they're going in. You know, now that he knows Dust Jr. is out there, now that he's after him, you know, at least it's opening up the door to Vader taking a more active role. I, you know, when they announced Dark Times, my initial thought was that Dark Vader would be the main character of the series. And he appeared quite a bit, but it, he was never the focus, you know, until, you know, very recently he at least got partial focus. So yeah, it'd be nice to see them take that direction, and maybe that's the direction that they're heading in. I'm just, I'm shocked that Dark Times has outlasted so many other series, unless that, the reason it's yeah. lasted is because of Randy Stradley, the editor of the series, being the one who's writing uh, the story, which hopefully is not the way they're making decisions about which series go and which series continue. Um, speaking of series that have gone, uh, this was the year in which we also saw the end of Knight Errant, the final issues of Escape. And we've covered this on the show previously. It was a fairly strong ending, nice insights into the Kara character, gives us hopefully a, a better impression of her when we go back and read the novel too, but certainly something that had great potential that doesn't seem like it's going to get to live up to it, very much like Invasion, though I think Knight Errant had more potential than Invasion at the beginning. You know, when it ended, I was kind of really bummed. I kind of really still don't quite believe it because the story and the character were reaching a point where I, I, I would say kind of what when we were talking about Agent of the Empire, kind of what you fear that they may do with that. You know, it just seemed like they jumped the shark and just ended it. It was like, well, this character is at a point where, you know, I don't know. The escape arc, I felt like she had the most to lose at that point. And it, it was a very dark place. I was really enjoying the potential of where it was going to go in the next arc. And then whoop, we just wrapped it up. And I'm like, what? Wait, what? Who? Where? What? You know, and, and they did the same thing with Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral. See, Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, you know, I mean, that one, I don't know. I mean, it's John Jackson Miller returning to the world of Lost Tribe of the Sith. And Lost Tribe of the Sith was a very intriguing concept with all the different eras and such. I think it works better as prose than it does as a comic, uh, but that may be because I'm not a big fan of the art style of Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral. Uh, but when they put this into comic form, we do at least get the hallmark of what Lost Tribe of the Sith tended to do, which is to give us more background to the Lost Tribe. With Spiral, we find out that, you know, the, the whole protectors and destructors thing, or destroyers thing, that the Sith used and molded themselves into as a way of controlling the Kashiri actually does have a real meaning. There's a real story behind it. And not only is it a real story, but it ties into the Hundred Year Darkness and uh, Baron Drapa and such. I mean, that there's this, this bigger concept to it. And among other things, it brings us new species, a new faction on the planet, the Doomed. And as well, in the process of showing us the Doomed, it brings back the Skytiri. Uh, we have... Kaliska, the leader of the Doomed, who's, she's the same race, Skateri, uh, from Sky as the Magistrix of Sky that we see in the first Marvel annual. It's cool to see him reaching back into not only early Star Wars history for the tie-in with, you know, the, the Hundred Year Darkness, but also that tie into early Star Wars publishing history with bringing back someone from Sky, which makes perfect sense to have that be someone who's important because of how difficult it is to travel between continents and such, you know, the, the lack of flying technology in a lot of cases in that era. I just don't think that necessarily this story needed to be told as a comic. It could have been told as a short story or something. And the fact that this is the only story we're getting 
makes it feel kind of, you know, kind of out there by its lonesome. It feels like an oddball thing instead of the beginning of something new and great. Yeah, you know, the thing that I liked about it were, like, we, we saw the Leviathans, we saw some of the Sith that go back to the very original, you know, Sith, and, and kind of, once again, seeing how, you know, the tribe tie in with the Sith, and how even though while they're kind of on their own, there were still ways for them to interact with the rest of the Sith. I, I, it was definitely something I wasn't expecting to see. Um, but yeah, finding out that that too ended with that one arc was just like, what are, what is going on? I mean, I, to me, I, I, I understand the concept of switching to the arc format, but I don't like the aspect of, well, we're going to give you an arc and while one series may continue for a while, this one may or may not just end today. Uh, I, I want to know that going in, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, like Star Wars, the ongoing series, that one's pretty self-explanatory, you know, but I don't know this, this hit or miss where, where it seems like it, it, it has potential or you're forgiving aspects of the comic thinking, you know, well, the next arc is going to kind of build on this and then no arc comes. It's like, well, you know, I, I'm pulling the classic George Lucas. Wait till you see it. Wait till you see it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and yet here I'm getting bamboozled. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that was uh, worth the money, but only because it was free, because the story certainly was kind of meh. Uh, I seem like I, I'm not in a bad mood, folks, and I really do think this is a great year for Star Wars. It's just their decisions with the comics just seem bizarre in some uh, respects here. Uh, we got the free comic book day comic this time around. And you know what? You should hunt down the free comic book day comic for 2012 for the Serenity story that's in it, not for the Star Wars story by Zach Whedon called The Art of the Bad Deal. I mean, this story had less substance than the comics from the Star Wars Kids magazine, quite frankly. Uh, it, it's there, it's a collector's item, only because, you know, after a few years it might be harder to find having been just a free comic book day giveaway and not a, a retail-type, you know, mainstream release. But I found it pretty poor this year. I mean, at least in previous years when they give given a free comic book day story, that wasn't a reprint of something old, at least this was new, um, they've been stories that had a little more oomph than this. I mean, I found that this story, boy, was it lackluster. It had, again, it had less depth than, if you've been following from the Star Wars library, the Russ Manning newspaper strips, and those didn't have much depth most of the time outside of a couple of poignant moments, like in uh, uh, As Long As We Live. You know, I, I see it as, as you get what you paid for. I, I kind of enjoyed the art, but that was about it. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize it was a reprint. <laughs> but no, this one wasn't a reprint. A lot of them tend oh. to be reprints. This was okay. at least a new one. So, I mean, I give them props for that and the fact that they were able to bring in uh, Zach Whedon. That was that whole big, uh, look, look, it's a Whedon, and he's yeah. doing Star Wars. How awesome. Now what you well, need to and, do and... is is cast some flashbacks in Episode 7 in which we have uh, uh, Nathan Fillion playing a younger Han Solo or something. That <laughs> is the connection I want to see between the Whedon-verse and Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Zach Whedon writing did not do anything for me. Well, I mean, they did tie it together because when you flipped that Star Wars free comic book day over, there was Zach Whedon's Serenity. And so, of course, you know, I had two copies of it so I could have one in each spot in my bookshelf or my comic shelf. Speaking of other things, I'm trying to turn on uh, to something that is also ended like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in this part of the show, uh, but also something, though, that was really quite good in some respects. Uh, Blood Ties has finally ended. Apparently there will not be another Blood Ties series. 
But Blood Ties, Boba Fett is dead wrapped up this year as well. And, and that was kind of an odd story. I think it, it altered our perceptions of the age of Aelin Vell, uh, Boba Fett's child with Sintas Vell. Yeah. That was a little bit frustrating. But the idea of bringing back uh, Connor Freeman, the idea of bringing Sintas Vell into the picture, finally giving us a little bit more information of the whole Concord Dawn thing, right? Because you've got the Concord Dawn scenario that was in uh, the Last Man Standing back in uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace, at, or no, was it Tales from Jabba's Palace or was it? Uh, no, it was Tales from the Bounty Hunters. Tales from Tales the, the Bounty Hunters. Yeah. Uh, that one gave us that backstory for Boba Fett that then seemed as though it had been tossed out the window, and some elements worked into Jango Fett's background, and now we've got a little bit more of it worked back in because now we've got a reason for why he left Concord Dawn, this man who's still after him. Uh, what was it that caused Boba Fett to wind up killing the person who was there? Well, it's a guy who attempted to rape his wife. No kidding he's going to kill the guy. Anybody yeah. would want to kill the guy. Um, and then you couple that with the awesome, awesome artwork of Scalf, and you have a really solid series. Not my favorite of the year because that place gets taken by Dawn of the Jedi and Agent of the Empire. But a really good series, and I'm kind of sad to see it go. I mean, granted, at some point they probably would have gone into jumping the shark territory uh, with Boba Fett and Jango Fett and whatnot. But this series, you know, very solid. Yeah, the, the whole rape aspect, I found that that did a lot for Boba Fett's character because, you know, he just kind of left her. And that always kind of sat weird with me. But now... I, I think about, you know, different TV shows I've seen and things like that with, with people dealing with rape and, and how sometimes the guys, they, they can't look at the woman anymore and things have just changed for him. And and I kind of wonder if that might have played into it as well for Fett, that, you know, the fact that she was almost raped was something he just couldn't live with. But for me, the thing that really ticked me off about this series is the fact that not only was it canceled, but when it first came out, they were like, oh, this is such a good idea. This is such a great idea we're going to continue this and they let everybody speculate as to you know blood ties with luke and leia uh blood ties with jaina and her mom i mean like like oh the sky's the limit here we're gonna do things on blood ties and then the next arc coming out oh well we're gonna continue on this this road with what we established in the last one which as far as i remember back wasn't how it was being marketed it was i don't remember it being where we're gonna you know like how the other stories have been going. It's not like KOTOR where Blood Ties is going to continue to be about Boba Fett, but yet that's what we ended up getting. And then, bam, mm -hmm. it failed. It seems like that's where they went off. They had said that we were going to get a comic series about Blood Ties, and what they gave us was a comic series about Boba and Jango Fett's Blood Ties. And once we realized that, it was it was only going to go so far. And I think that's the letdown, and I think that comes back to you know whoever was marketing it, because it was marketed a lot better than what we ended up getting, and it could have been better what we got had they just kept giving us more. Yeah, and they gave us the impression that this was going to be that ongoing series, as you mentioned, not just two story arcs and then stop. And the same thing could be said for, you know, Jedi the Dark Side in 2011. Gonna, we were told yeah. that was going to be an ongoing series, but then, yeah, no, 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 nope, nope, that's, uh, that's over too. Sorry, guys. Um, speaking of short series, we did have another one that's sort of a continuation of a previous one, at least a, a previous mindset. And that is, we had Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, a short miniseries dealing specifically with Darth Vader and other issues uh, in the early Imperial times, very much like what we got with Darth Vader and the Lost Command previously. I mean, they're not technically connected, but they're connected in concept, at least, in the idea of these Vader stories. I just thought Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison 
was really quite good. I, I think the premise that the Academy uh, headmaster from Carida would be tired of seeing uh, his own sons put in danger, uh, seeing some of his sons die, seeing the different people that he trained die, uh, fighting for the Emperor, and finally getting fed up and trying a coup. I think that was interesting. I don't think the way he pulled it off was quite believable in some respects. But, you know, if you can get past that, you can accept the premise of it. I think it wound up being a very good story, a very dark story, especially as we get towards the end. You know, you get to a point where Moff Trachta, or the guy that becomes Moff Trachta, who we know from the first Empire storyline, Betrayal, when you realize, you know, partway through, this guy is probably the most sane, rational guy of all the ones in the story. Holy crap! You know, he's yeah. the form open. <laughs> He's the guy that I'm that I'm sympathized with. He's the one whose ideas make the most sense. I kept um, going back to that other series, going, "Is this right? I mean, is this like did the character jump the shark? <laughs> maybe maybe this wound up, you know, somehow like, giving him uh, a reason to distrust the Emperor after the way that things play out in this story. But I like the idea and the fact that they were able to tie it into the Clone Wars era, tie it into Anakin before he became Vader, and make it so that sort of his indignation now." is related to his indignation then. It's not that he totally turned around and every single thing that he thinks is the opposite of what he would have thought before. He at first had the frustration about the secrets being kept from him by the Jedi about these prisoners, and now he finds out the truth, and that indignation continues forward. He even winds up face-to-face -face with a lot of people he sent there himself. Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison is, for a standalone comic story where it's just a five-issue or whatever it was arc, and that's it, it's one of the best of those types of stories we've seen in, I think, years. It's just, it hits all the right notes. Yeah, I think it's, as far as Vader stories go, it is up there with the first Purge as my favorites. Um, you know, the ghost prison itself, the concept of it, how it played out, everything about that was really intriguing for me. I was like, okay. And, you know, the, the whole, the whole betrayal, uh, you know, from the headmaster or whatever. I, I thought that was really well done. I, I thought it, it seemed very reasonable, like he'd been working it for a while. I, I, and apparently I've been saying Cardia wrong all this time because I thought it was Cardia. Dang, man, I say everything. Oh, that's cool. I, I thought it was Cardia for years. That was Cardian, and then I realized it was Carrot. I'm like, oh, I guess I can say <laughs> that differently now. Uh, I don't know why Dang. it didn't strike me when I was going back and listening to the audiobooks of the Jedi Academy trilogy. It should have hit me then. Uh, I must say, though, <laughs> Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison... Hands down, this is the way that we should be able to turn to Dark Horse and say, you see how good that was? It's time for Hayden Blackman to write The Force Unleashed 3 as a comic series. We need an end to that story, and if you want a story that takes Vader and somebody else he has a really good grip on, of course, you know, going back to Starkiller from The Force Unleashed that Hayden Blackman spearheaded, you know, this would be an awesome comic series. If you're not going to make it as a game ever... Once that decision is made, and I know Lucas has a problem making those types of decisions about not making something ever, uh, as soon as that decision is made, let him loose. Unleash him with this particular... I mean, even maybe this artist. Uh, who was the artist uh, on this series? It was uh, Augustine or Augustine uh, Alessio. Bring this person back, let them loose, because he can tell a good Vader story. Not many people can necessarily pull that off. They make Vader either too verbose, they make him too introspective, or they don't make him introspective enough, and he is just this, you know, this monster-type figure. Blackman nails the fine balance between the aspects of Vader and Anakin's personalities in a way that is rare in Star Wars. 
Yeah, another comic though that that was one of these one-offs, you know, four issues and or five issues. Was, I can't even remember. I think it's five, but uh, was Darth Maul Death Sentence? I I found myself really enjoying that one. Uh, we we kind of pick up where Maul and Savage are are continuing on their little trail of trying to set up their little uh, criminal empire and stuff, and they they kind of crash land on a planet, or maybe they land there. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they come across this species that's in the in the middle of kind of like a uh, internal struggle with the CIS that have taken shop on their planet and kicked them out of their their kind of holes down inside the planet. And they're on a planet that every so often all three suns kind of come out and torch everything on the on the surface. And they've got their own prophecy about a demon in the light, and they they kind of take Maul under it. But uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in this comic. I, I was I was enjoying the art. I was enjoying the dialogue. Uh, and the concept. I mean, we see characters like uh, like Dre from uh, the Invasion story uh, when he was a Padawan. Um, and I and I can't for the life of me think of what the uh, the reptilian species name was, but I remember loving that character. And that by the time it was all said and done, that character was a really cool character and, and made made it a very fun ride. But the art, I, I got to say, and the story and the way it twisted, the, the twist at the end, I. I, I was smiling, you know, you know I, I was talking earlier about how, you know, the walking dead 100 hit me in, in, a, in a negative way. That one hit me in a positive way. I did not see that twist coming and I, I was left with a smile. I thought it was cool. But the twist where the Jedi becomes a demon. Yeah. But they, they foreshadow great. that there's, I mean, there's so many times they foreshadow that somebody even looks at him and calls him a demon or something like that. At one point that I, I like the twist. I didn't like the fact that they foreshadowed it the way that they did. They made it kind of come off as as something I was expecting the entire rest of the series. I was like, okay, when are they going to reveal it? When are they going to reveal oh. it's not Maul and it's him? Come on. See, I, I guess that's one of those like KOTOR things when Demigol and him being uh, – what's his butt? Uh, Roland. When yeah, he Roland. Was taking over for, yeah. yeah, when that was going on and the, the hints were there – like, I totally missed that. You know, I was like, I didn't catch that until later. And then going back, you're like, oh, my gosh, it was so obvious. Same thing with uh, with Lord Crayot when we find out that he's Asherard Head. You know, the little hints were there. But, you know, I, I miss these things. And I could see how, you know, like for someone like you that's paying more attention to it, that could be, yeah, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, and it's not coming. You're like, when is it going to? Yeah, I could see how that could be an issue. Luckily, in my case, I, I missed that. And so I, it took me by surprise. Going back, I would probably be like, oh, cool, there was a hint of that, but. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a nitpicker along the way. Uh, I, I did like this series. I think Tom Taylor did a good job with it. I think the premise initially felt a little flimsy. The, okay, well, this guy's business is being disrupted by Maul and Savage, so he puts a bounty on them, so they decide to hunt him down. I think that was kind of a, really, that's the premise. But for that to be just the little bit that just sets up the situation and kicks it off, I mean, that's really kind of what you would see in a Star Wars film's opening crawl, and then the real action gets going. You know, it, it worked. And the clash between them and the natives, them and the Jedi and such, it, it played out well. I like the setup of it. I like the fact that we see the clash between Maul and his brother a bit in terms of ideology, which is hinted at again, of course, in Revenge. Or not Revenge, uh, in, uh, oh god, what was it called? Uh, Revival, the first episode aired of this season, even though it was supposed to be aired later on. Uh, that played out well, and Tom Taylor has sort of a, a way with the personalities of these characters. I mean, while most of the characters are running around saying all of these more profound things, being all melodramatic and such, because I'm Darth Maul, I've got horns, I look crazy evil, I must be melodramatic. Same thing with Savage, even the Jedi saying all their melodramatic, you know, Jedi Master, Jedi Knight type phrases. You have the moment at which Maul looks at little Dre, Padawan Dre, and says, 
Little Jedi, didn't I chop off your hands? To which he replies, didn't you get chopped in two halves? Did the other half survive too? Are there like some crazy Sith legs running around by themselves <laughs> ready to deal out a good kicking? You know, at, at that moment, you know, you realize that that even in the the darker aspects of the storyline, they're able to pull off, you know, a, a measure of levity. Of course, immediately thereafter, we have Savage somehow coming out of carbonite and immediately stabbing through Dre's Jedi Master with a lightsaber that somehow ignites. I'm guessing the that they show immediately before that is, is supposed to be maybe one of them as the lightsaber coming on? Because unless he was frozen with the lightsaber on and somehow it stayed on, despite him being frozen in carbonite, it seems odd that he would be able to fall out with that thing sticking out the way that it does. And it doesn't look like it cuts through her. It looks like it stabs through her. That panel left me sort of scratching my head as to how that played out. Why did it wind up looking the way that it did? But again, it's another one of those little, you know, brief moments in what is otherwise a, a pretty good story. I mean, it's nice that we have this. We also have, uh, speaking of Darth Maul and his return and whatnot, we also have the story called The Sith Hunters. It was the only Clone Wars Digest comic released this year. But The Sith Hunters, even more so than this, answers the question of what have they been doing since the events of last season of The Clone Wars, since the end of Season 4 as we're heading into Season 5, because that actually picks up where Obi-Wan and Asajj are in space having jettisoned themselves from the ship on which Savage and Maul had been whenever they captured Obi-Wan and Asajj got aboard and saved Obi-Wan and all that kind of stuff. I don't think the Sith Hunters was, you know, nearly as good as Darth Maul Death Sentence, but it was kind of cool to see the death toll that the two brothers could wreak upon the Jedi, and very cool to see where they go from there, because there was that big question of, okay, Asajj is with Obi-Wan now. He should have a duty to turn her over or something. How were they going to write off the idea that when we come back to the next season, surely Obi-Wan will be away, Asajj will have just disappeared, and they probably won't mention it. And you know what? What have we gotten this season? Episodes in which no Asajj, Obi-Wan's on his own, they haven't explained it. Thank goodness for the Clone Wars Digest. But, as I recall, that was written by... Uh, members of the the series team, so they purposely made it so it could tie in and explain that, as opposed to it being someone who was outside of the team who just happened to be writing on it. But we got two good mall stories, just one maybe superior to the other. Yeah, I'm actually I'm looking forward to getting that digest. Digests are about the only comic that I get very last. Um, <laughs> I, I get them every now and again. I don't rush out and jump on them. I know there's a few that I'm like, oh, I gotta get that one. Yeah, well, this one, this one's probably worth it. It's written by Henry Gilroy and Stephen Melching. So you got somebody who's, you know, intimately familiar with the series from having worked on it earlier, plus Stephen Melching, who's been still working on it. So at least it, it has those authentic touches. And you can say that this isn't something that's likely to be run over and rewritten, like what we had with the whole sequence, uh, from the Citadel arc with the, the, well, this is the first time we're trying to hide in Carbonite and go behind enemy lines, but wait, it was already done in another story by one of the writers from the series. Oops, kind of stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of good things, uh, the next two we'll talk about together, uh, Dawn of the Jedi. Uh, we have Force Storm, we have the era itself, and recently now we've got the second arc, Prisoner of Bogan, which I believe as of this point we have number one, and by the end of the year, number two will come out as well. 
you know, the first series of it was the Four Storm one. It gives us an introduction to what's going on. Uh, there was a zero issue, kind of like what they did with the Legacy story to kind of set the tone. Uh, you know, I actually got to say I'm liking this. I think, uh, you know, when this came out, this to me was the very first. I, I want to say it felt like an experiment. Like this was the closest they could get to rebooting Star Wars and the fans would be OK with it because you don't have Jedi. You have Jedi and you do have Sith, but they're not the bad guys. Uh, you know, and I like the way that that. You know, the the familiar has been flipped on its head. You know, they flipped the script. And in a sense, this is a new Star Wars. So as funny as you refer to it as a reboot, to me, it's the exact opposite. Instead of feeling like it's fresh because it doesn't have those constraints, to me, it's like I think of all these things we've seen in like the Jedi versus Sith, the essential guide to the Force, in the new essential chronology, and all these different things that have been referred to before. All these things that have been hinted at, like the Force War, and the fact that this is leading up to that, uh, to finally get to see that, it almost feels like the culmination of a lot of the EU up to this point, as opposed to feeling like it's somewhat of a break. Let me grab the newest issue here, my torn-up issue, mind you, of Star Wars Insider, and it's uh, issue 138, and they say in their article, it's an article entitled Dark Side of the Moon, about Prisoner of Bogan, they say there near the end, uh, I believe it's John Ostrander speaking. Yes, John Ostrander says, Before we even began, it had already been established that the Force War ended in a cataclysm that caused the Jedi to leave Tython and become the Jedi. How that happened is a story we're telling, and there will be lots of twists and turns in getting there. That's what we do. I love that, and I love that that's the premise. It's not a, here's a new era, we're just going to tell whatever it's, we have a point in mind. It's the old, uh, you know, begin with the end in mind and your process will be that much better, that much more uh, efficient. So I'm excited to see where this goes, especially since we have a new novel coming next year that's going to be tying into it as well. Prisoner of Bogan, I've only read the first issue so far. Um, I don't, I'm not sure the second one is even uh, out yet at this point. Have read the first issue. Impressed by the depth that it's giving. A lot of new details and stuff coming from Dagan Loke about the events that had happened previously, the Despot War and whatnot. So I'm excited. I just wish this truly was a monthly series instead of being a series that has like one story arc and then a few months with nothing and then another story arc then a few months with nothing. Hey, Dark Horse, if you need to be able to cancel some other comic in order to make Dawn of the Jedi monthly, I don't think we'd be too sad if you got rid of, say, Dark Times. Think about it. After Crux issue. After Crux issue. After Crux. Yeah, after the stuff that they've already got in the pipeline. Uh, let's get Dawn of the Jedi into a monthly series here. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I guess for me, the reboot feel is like how when the Clone Wars came out, you know, I, I wasn't expecting clones of Jango Fett, you know, like I, I was expecting clones of Jedi fighting each other. And yet what we saw was like a reboot of what I was imagining. Um, I guess I guess that's what I mean is like the. the the concept of what a Jedi is is not what I was envisioning. I mean, granted, yeah, it does line up with the hints that we've gotten, the essential guides and stuff like that. And I love those tie-ins. That's always the great thing. But I, I think, you know, in, in terms of what people expect when it comes to Sith, Jedi, and the Force, this reboots a lot of concepts that we've been familiar with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's another era. It's a new dynamic. Um, it's one of the first times we've ever had to really think in terms of, you know, except for maybe Tales of the Jedi of what defines Jedi, what defines a Sith. Because most of the eras, the definitions are still pretty much the same. Knight, Errant, uh, the Old Republic and whatnot. 
the circumstances change, but you know, we're not looking at something fundamentally different from a, a maybe a character archetype standpoint. If it was a video game, we called a character class standpoint, for instance. Speaking of character classes or characters with class, we have the Agent of the Empire storyline, of course, that we covered recently on the show. We had this year the end, uh, the latter issues, that is, issues, I guess, uh, two through the end of the first story of Agent of the Empire Iron Eclipse. We've now seen that released in trade paperback. We also have the first, I've got two issues, but by the end of the year it'll be the first three issues of the second storyline entitled Agent of the Empire Hard Targets. That, you know, obviously we have a pretty positive impression based on what you heard on the show recently, folks, but I'd say that is one of the strongest Star Wars titles to come out in recent memory. I mean, if it wasn't for Dawn of the Jedi, Agent of the Empire would be my favorite current Star Wars series, and they're both written by Ostrander, so big shock, they're going to wind up being good. Yeah, with a name like Ostrander, it's going to impress. Uh, you know, another another thing uh, that that's out there is the uh, not- one shot unlike the first two purge the tyrant's fist and the first one of those have come out and i know nathan you haven't got your copy yet i got mine yesterday i uh haven't had a chance to read all the dialogue yet but i was flipping through the images because i like to look at the art first uh who am i kidding i like to look at the art i like to read it then i like to look at the art again while i read it i'm just weird and so as I was reading this, the thing that really jumped out to me was that one of the new characters in that was what, for all intents and purposes, looked like a giant walking Jedi iguana. And I thought that was really cool. The comic store I go to is Iguana Comics. And I was like, hey, you guys need to adopt this for your logo. I just I thought it was really cool. Plus, there was also a uh, forearm Jedi, not not like uh, Prong Krell, but more, uh, I, I want to say like the, uh, the shape-shifting, or not shape-shifting, the uh, werewolf-type species where their kids are the werewolves. And then they, as they grow up, they uh, become the blue-skinned with the uh, forearms. Foden, I think something like that. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought it was really cool seeing a you know a forearm Jedi in action. He's the one that that Vader is really kind of chasing, and he's got the iguana one in prison, and he's kind of questioning. It. I, I, I thought it was really cool, you know, without having to to read it all. Just what I was seeing in images, I'm really looking forward to going back and reading the dialogue, and hopefully it's going to be as good as the art because the art looked really well done. I really like the previous Purge stories. I mean, they've all been, you know, one-shots up to this point, but they've been pretty good. I find it weird that this story is two issues, or at least I think it's two issues. I know it goes beyond yeah. the first one to a it's, second one, but I don't see any solicitations for an issue three no, anywhere it's two. at this it's point. It's one of two is what it says. And I, I thought for some reason, I, I initially I complained on Twitter. I'm like, man, I want this to be like four issues. And I was like, man, you should be happy. This one's two. All the rest have been ones. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. they all been yeah, one-shots up to here. But – I, I am wary of this because it is written by Alexander Freed. And Alexander Freed's the guy who did Blood of the Empire and The Lost Sons for the Old Republic series, where he kind of is able to hit the marks that are needed for the plot to move along, but I didn't really feel like we had much of a character connection to most of the characters in those. I remember that when we were talking about Annihilation, I found that you know I didn't really care much for the Theron Shan character until reading Ni Annihilation, because Lost Sons really didn't give him the depth that I was looking for. I'm hoping... That thankfully, since we already know Vader, that he'll have, you know, depth just sort of brought into this new story. And maybe, just maybe, Freed will be able to give some depth to the other ones in it. I hate to see Vader just going and mowing down characters that we have no connection to. So it's just kind of another blasé, oh look, Vader killed a Jedi. And type of story. Yeah. You know, I want to see this stand the test of time along with the previous Purge comics. Yeah, that would be nice. 
Uh, you know, that about wraps up our coverage on comics. Uh, to give you a little spoiler for what you might get next year, at the beginning of the year, we're going to do a look forward. Uh, and one of the things we'll be looking forward to and we'll be covering in more detail is the return of Star Wars Legacy. So uh, that's your little spoiler here. We will be seeing more on that series with Han and Leia's great-granddaughter. And uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to talking about that. Uh, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you can listen to our show airing on Middle Earth Network Radio, as well as streaming on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page, at Films. You can just type that in as uh, Star Wars Beyond the Films if you need to. It doesn't matter how you get there, though. Be sure to like our page. We're uh, just reached over 400. I think we're at 401 and climbing up. You know, thanks so much, everyone. It's one of the best ways you can interact with us. You know, we are uh, always responding back to the comments that come there. I I think we're pretty much better with uh, responding back to you on Facebook than Twitter, though I am trying to get better at that. And I know Nathan's pretty good with uh, handling that. But uh, each month, we're also going to be releasing feedback episodes. Uh, We will be doing a feedback episode here real soon with some of the questions that we had asked earlier in the year. We've got enough of those. Uh, We won't always do them every month because, again, it gets back to the relevant topics. We don't have enough information or questions from you guys, and we just put it off on the back burner until we do. So, you know, if you got a question you've asked before and you think of a new one, fire it off. You know, if you still haven't heard that feedback issue and you want to have that question answered, you know, just keep pestering us. We'll get there. And uh, remember, you can uh, fire us off those emails and pester us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So, once again, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan with no droid. Ooh, a problem we'll have to rectify. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That they're going to cancel a really good comic series that you love tomorrow. They'll cancel a crappy series to let Legacy or maybe uh, Dawn of the Jedi live a bit longer. I'm looking at you, Dark Time. Or that they're going to cancel Dark Horse's contract and give it to Marvel. Or take and buy Dark Horse like they did Lucasfilm.